Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 377 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. And can I just say, that just kind of boggled my brain a bit, 377. I was working out what number this episode was, and I thought, 377, that's a lot for a person who has very low discipline. I'm just not good at doing things over and over and over again the same way. And I did some math because honestly, the vast majority of the time I get this podcast out once a week. Sometimes I miss due to illness, but that's not often. And I put out extra episodes too. So I did some math. I Very simple math. I did that, divided 377 by 52 weeks a year. And it said I'd been doing this for more than seven years. And I thought that is actually impossible. So then I went back to the first episode and yeah, it was seven and a half years ago. How have I been doing this every week for seven years when I don't think I could do anything for three weeks in a row? I think I might have to readjust the way I am thinking about myself and the way I handle some things that require me to show up again and again. I'm kind of feeling a little bit proud of that. So um, thank you for being here as that fact gobsmacks me. Today is a bonus episode. I would I often call them bonus mini episodes, but this one is not mini because I have been so busy and I was sick for weeks and I just been putting this one off. So there's a bunch of questions. So grab a cup of tea, settle in. These questions are brought to you by my patrons at the $5 and up level. And it is so cool to have these questions because these questions are helpful for everyone listening. So thank you. Thank you. If you send in a question, I answer it eventually, and you help other people and you help me know that I can do this show, that I have the time to do this show. You are the direct support that allows me to do this show. So thank you for that. I'm going to jump into those questions in one moment, but I do want to let you know that right now, 90 Days to Done is open. 90 Day Revision is almost about to slam shut. Um, you could still check by going to rachelherrin.com slash revision. If it says open, there's still a slot or two left. Uh, but 90 Days to Done does still have some spaces, and I would love to have you if you want to write your book or finish writing the book that you've been working on for the last six months or for the last 10 years. Um, I just want to let you know that in 90 Days to Done, I have worked with people who have never had an idea about a book and they come into the class without an idea and leave with a book. And I have worked with people who have 30, 40 plus published manuscripts with traditional publishers, indie publishers. This is for you if you want to write and finish your book. It is not technically fast draft writing. We do write, it's, it's not even quick writing. This is normal speed drafting. I'm a slow drafter and I can finish books in 90 days. This is just without the lags that we normally as human beings take. So normally what happens is we write, we get stuck and we get frustrated. We don't know where we're going. And then we poke around a little bit longer. And then we set it aside for the weekend because I need a little bit of time to think about this. And then three months later, we go, huh, how did I lose? all of that time. 90 days to done. You don't do that. We just keep going. That's the whole point of 90 days to done. I give you craft instruction and how to write a book. Sure. But the big thing is, is that we just stay there for each other as we write books. Um, just this week, I, I'm going to brag for one second. I heard from a student whose book has just been bought by Jessica Kingsley Publishers, which is a prestigious imprint 
of one of the big five publishers, Hachette. And I heard that another agent, another student got an agent and a different one won a literary contest and is currently talking to two agents this week. My students go on to indie publish and to traditionally published, and that's because they finish their books. And then they re- and then they revise them, and then they revise them another million times. But they do learn how to show up and keep doing the work. So if you're interested, I would love to work with you. You can go to 90 Days. Sorry, that is not the URL. You can go to RachelHeron.com/slash/90. The number's 90, and that'll take you to the class. Okay, ad read done. I'd love to have you though, um, because it is. Next to writing, it is my favorite thing to do. And on many bad writing days, teaching is by far my favorite thing to do. So please come over if that interests you. Um, I'd love to have you. That starts in, oh, I should mention that starts uh, September 1 and it goes to the end of November. So you'd have all December off. All right, let's jump into these questions brought to you by my patrons. Um, Let's start off with, ooh, an awesome one. Speaking of agents from Emily, who says, hey, Rachel, I'm in need of a little querying slash publishing slash morale advice. I'm querying agents for my cozy mystery. And so far I've sent out 18 queries, four of which have resulted in requests for a full manuscript. So far, three of the agents who requested a full have passed and the jury is still out on the fourth one. Since my query letter seems to be doing the job and the concept of my book seems to be somewhat intriguing, I'm left with the heartbreaking thought that perhaps the reason agents are passing after reading the full is because my book is just not good. Two agents said something along the lines of, you set up a strong cozy, but I just didn't fall in love with the action. And one agent actually gave me concrete feedback saying she'd be happy to take another look if I want to change the things she suggested. And I'm not sure I do. Do you think I should make the suggested changes from the agent and give that route another shot? Or should I keep querying and see what happens? Or should I self-publish? Or do you think these results mean my book needs a lot more work and I should not self-publish it, but instead go back to the drawing board? I feel stuck. Any advice is super appreciated. Okay. Oh my gosh. I love this question. First of all, let's let's crunch a little bit of um, the numbers here. So you sent out 18 queries and four requests. That is a huge response rate. That is 22% response rate, um, which is just enormous when we are talking about query letters. A really good query letter will get between two and 5% request for a partial manuscript or a full manuscript, um, sometimes up to 10%, but but a really good query letter is not going to bring in many, many uh, requests. And you are getting, you got a 22% full request rate from your query letter. So number one, good job. Your query letter is awesome. Period. We we know that. And number two, I would, that is, that is a place for concern. I'm going to be straight up honest. That would be a place for concern if you hadn't gotten that revise and resubmit request from the agent. The revise and resubmit which is what we call it when an agent says, um, I liked it, I didn't love it, but you could do some things and then I'm gonna, I could take a look at it again. That's enormous. She is not BSing you. Agents don't have time to waste telling you things that they don't mean. Um, what agents will do is if they have requested a full and then they read it and then they say, I'm not interested, a lot of times they will say um, things like, uh, thanks for the opportunity to look at the full uh, this book is not quite to where I want a professional book to be. So I'm going to pass on this. They'll get, they'll give you the truth. They might give you the form brush off with, which, you know, I just didn't fall in love with this or this, you know, this doesn't fit in my stable roster of writers right now. 
but uh, so, but they will tell you sometimes they will tell you i don't I, I will always talk about the one agent who said um i like your writing but i don't think this will be a published book he was wrong but he was truthful and i and i and i actually love that agent he's awesome that is what he believed and he was right because that book didn't get published that book went on to be revised a ton of times with the agent that I got and then with the editor that hired me. So he was technically correct. That book never got published. The revised better book got published. Um, but that agent who said you could do these things to it and then resubmit it to me, she is saying you're a good enough writer. She is saying this book is good enough. She is saying you have the skill and the goods. And just because she wants you to make some changes to it does not mean that her changes are the only changes that need to be done to make the book right. For the for the one thousandth time, probably this week, I will say it again that if you hire a hundred editors to revise to help you revise your book, one after another after another, you're never going to get to the point where like the seventeenth agent seventeenth uh, editor says, "Well, no, this is perfectly revised. I can't do anything with this." Any editor, any agent who looks at a project will find things that they could take apart and want you to put back together in a different order, in a different way to suit their tastes. Her taste is not right. The agent who suggested these changes to you is only right if, after thinking about them, they start to resonate with you and you go, you know what, I, it could be a stronger book if I did that. I could try that. I don't recommend doing any revision based on her advice unless you love it. Unless you love it, you do it, it makes the book stronger. And then if you resubmit it to her and she goes, oh, thanks, now I've you know just re recently got a book in this genre, so now I can't take on another client in this genre. Um if in that case you would go, well, that's fine because the book is better now. That's a good reason to do a revise for a revise and resubmit. She is saying you have the goods. The book is strong. She's got some ideas for it. I am assuming because you have not mentioned elsewhere that you did not hire a developmental editor before you started going for agents. Um, if you did, you can disregard this, but normally we don't have to do a developmental edit before we go after agents, we can just go after agents. And then after a while, if they don't pick it up, then we hire a developmental editor and we in, we indie publish, we self-publish, if that is what we want to do. If you hire a developmental editor, preferably off readz.com or somewhere like that, then you can just be assured that your book is good enough, it's strong enough, and you put it up there and you move on to the next book, which is, I know from a question that is coming, something that you have already done. Um, I do not believe you need to go back to the drawing board. I cannot tell you whether you should indie publish or keep querying. Um, I don't have the power to know what will be best for you in this case, but I do think you should be super, super proud of the huge bites that you're getting on this query and the revise and resubmit. That is like a hundred gold stars that an agent is showering down on you. And to me, what that means is definitely keep querying. Definitely. If you are interested in still getting an agent, send out a lot more queries, get up to a hundred of those queries out there moving around because you are really killing it with those numbers. And you're going to continue to get responses, to get requests for polls and partials. And maybe you will hear, uh, maybe another agent will go back to you and say, I'd like you to revise and resubmit. And here are the things I think that you could change about it. And if two or three agents tell you the same exact thing to change in the book, I would take that seriously. Don't take any one person seriously, but a couple or three people who are professionals in the industry telling you the same thing, yes, then I would go ahead and change that. But 
I really want you to take a deep breath and be super proud of yourself. You're doing amazing, wonderful, hard work and good job, Emily. Thank you for asking and keep me posted, please. All right. And then this one comes from Lisa, who says, uh, hi, Rachel, being a new patron and in your new Rachel says plan offering, I was not sure where to ask a writing question, if it should be here or in the Slack space for Rachel says plan. Um, Either way works. Rachel says plan would have been private, but now that we've got it here, we're going to do it here. Um, Let's see. My question is, in your recent episode, number 368 with Kelsey Ervick, you got on the topic of narrative distance. This triggered my ears and brain to perk up with interest. And I did Google it, as you suggested, to get a better understanding. But they talk about it mostly in terms of fiction writing. Can you shed some deeper light on what that looks like in memoir? You mentioned there being three narrators, the narrator of the person at the time of the circumstance and the writer in the now telling the story. And when you said a third... And then you said a third narrator of the author. Can you offer some further context on this? An example of those using of using those in memoir and best way to shift from one to the other smoothly. Who knows? Maybe my narrations are probably all over the place. In fact, I'm sure of it. But one day I will fix it in revision. Amen, sister. Uh, having a better understanding of this might help enrich my writing as well as make it flow the right way. I greatly appreciate your insight. Um, okay, so I am sorry that I confused you with that. Memoir is an interesting beast because we have decisions to make. We have the decision to make about the character who is on the page all of the time. The I character, the first person character inside the memoir, who is us, yes, but it is also a character. And we need to decide what that character knows. So if that character only knows what that character knows, at the time when they're 12, when they fell off the bike and they discover something terrible and they don't have any of the information that the 18-year-old self had or that the 48-year-old self had, then that character needs to stay in the mindset of their age. There will be no narrator discussion of little could she know that in in, in two more short years at the age of 14, I can't remember the ages here. She would find out the blanket of blank. That's the narrative age of the character. And then we have what the narr- what the actual narrator over the book knows. Sometimes that narrative voice will come in and inform what that character knows. And that's a decision to be made. We don't want to spring that on a reader. If we see this character, who is you, but it's still a character. If we see this character growing up at 14, at 16, at 18, and then suddenly a voice comes in out of nowhere and says, um, this was the beginning of the end. We think, where, where's that voice coming from? We want that narrator voice. It's almost omniscient in a way, although it's just what we know. Um, to If we're going to use that kind of telling in a book, we want, to, we want to drip that in all the way through the book so that the reader knows that there is this narrator who is holding this whole book together and who is giving the reader information that the character of that age at that, at that time on that day doesn't know yet. We can either insert that narrative knowledge in all the way throughout the book, or we can, or this is my opinion, we can keep it all the way out. And just have the character know what she knows as she knows it. The going back and forth and the mixing of those two things, I think, can be 
alarming or disturbing for the reader, although they won't think about it. They won't exactly know why they feel that way, but they'll know, well, if I, if I just found this out that everything is going to go wrong soon, why didn't this narrative narrative uh narrator's voice show me earlier that things were going to go wrong or things were going to go right so i like to have it all in all the way through the book or all out through the book and then this is where i got confusing um there is the author herself the one sitting in the chair doing the typing and that's kind of that third person making all of these decisions we've got the character's voice of the age that they were at the time and then we've got the decision to make on the narrative voice which can come in and display things to the reader that that character at that age doesn't quite know yet, which is totally admissible, totally awesome if you want to use it, but use it all the way through the book, I believe, um, for a more seamless reading experience. And then there is this third person who really doesn't get into the book. We're not going to put this author who's sitting in this chair into the book normally, but we just have to keep in mind that is another person, that is another self that we are filtering these other two things through. That is a complex thing to think about. So just let it roll around in your brain and know that there's no right or wrong way, but it, but writing memoir is complex because we are writing about somebody who um, we live in their bedroom all the time. Can't get out of their bed. That is where we live. So uh, thank you for asking that question. And I hope I didn't confuse you even more. Um, all right. And then let's see. Linda says, uh, Rachel, I'm working on the second draft of my memoir, working title, Lessons Learned, Living the Sailing Life. Um, let's see. As an arranger in my number five strengths for writer, writers, uh, this is the Clifton strengths. Um, I have learned during the strengths for writers coaching call and cohort classes that working on multiple aspects of not only writing, but the writing process will help me with my writing, such as exploring ideas for another book or learning about the process, covers, editors, etc., or reading books on memoir writing, etc. Here are my questions. At what point do I get an editor involved? What is an agent and why and when would I need one? How soon do I begin the process of finding one, especially if I'm only in the second draft onto the third? Will these questions be answered in your publishing evergreen course? Cheers. And thanks for being an inspiration. I take you on my walks and I'm working through all your podcasts beginning to end. Well, that is lovely. Thank you, Linda. Um, so quickly, yes, in the how to publish in today's market, which is available at rachelheron.com slash publish, uh, all of those questions are answered in super detail. So we can't get into everything right now because then that would this would be a very, 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 very long podcast. Um, but quickly, at one point, do you get an editor involved? I like to recommend that you get an editor involved as late as possible. If you are going to self-publish, because you want to do all the heavy lifting, you want to do as much heavy lifting as you can. So we're talking a third draft, maybe a fourth draft and some passes. You want this book to be as good as you can possibly make it. And you've run out of ideas and you cannot figure out one more idea to make this a better book. And then you hire a developmental editor to help you get this book into shape so that then you can hire a copy editor and then publish it. But as I mentioned earlier, if you want to go the traditional publishing route, you don't need to get a developmental editor in there first. You can, if that makes you feel better, but they are expensive. Um, and you could, or you could just reach out to find an agent. So your next question was, what is an agent and when and why would I need one? An agent is only ne necessary if you want to traditionally publish, which means that you would be bought by a publisher who do all the work for you, either one of the big five publishers or a smaller traditional 
publishing company where they would handle the distribution, the covers, the editing, all of that. And to get to the vast majority of those publishers, you have to have an agent. The agent is the liaison. The agent is the one who sells your book to the publisher. So first of all, the agent has to fall in love with you and your work. And just like Emily was asking, in order to get the interest of an agent, you write something called a query letter. I feel like this is a Rachel Adread show and this is not intentional, but um, if you are not on my email newsletter mailing list, or if even if you are, I think you can download it from here, uh, but you can get my magic formula for writing query letters, which get results. I swear to God, I used to offer a service for it. I don't offer that service for it anymore. I just offer it for free. So go grab this for free. It's at rachelherron.com slash magic, I think. Hold on, I'll go check. Okay, I recorded, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> I had to pause the recording there. I remembered correctly, rachelherron.com slash magic. And then you can download the query letter. That is what gets you the attention of an agent. And then if an agent decides to work with you and offer you representation, then she gets the entire right to offer that book for sale to publishers. And if she sells it, she takes 15% of whatever you make for the rest of that book's life, as long as it is with that publisher. So that's what an agent does is she is the go between. She's kind of the gate crasher. There's a lot of gatekeepers still in publishing. She's the gate crasher. You do not need one if you want to self publish or slash indie publish. It's the same thing. Um, but agents are pretty necessary if you want to traditionally publish. So I think that is all of the questions. Ooh, I think I did that pretty, um, pretty quickly. Good job, me, because there's more questions. Um, fabulous. Okay. Uh, thank you for that, Linda. I appreciate it. And then here's a question from Kylo who says, Dear Rachel, I just finished the first draft of something I hope will grow to be a science fiction novel. I waited a bit and have now just cracked back into it. There are parts I hate about it, like I expected, but there are also parts of it that I love. And my problem right now is actually too many of the latter. I have things that I love that cannot exist together because they require different world building to exist. I have essentially scenes from about three different slightly, three, three slightly different novels. This brings me around to my question about revision. My question is, where do you start? How do you decide what to take out and what to add? I've also been attempting to write an elevator pitch for the manuscript and I'm coming up with nothing I like. My roommate says that he was sold on gay space wizards, but I imagine that hook does not work for everybody. I'd like to add something about the plot, but I'm having trouble making decisions and holding my ground. Okay, so great question here. I really like that you are trying to do the elevator pitch. That is, um, sometimes after a first draft, it is really, really a fantastic time to go back to, or for the very first time, try an elevator pitch. What an elevator pitch is just in two to three sentences, or one to three sentences, can you sum up your book? Here's the problem. When I write a first draft, I cannot do an elevator pitch because my book is so all over the place. It is so everything. It is such a mess. I'm, I write really messy drafts and that's okay. And that's what I love about the elevator pitch because the, going back to this elevator pitch, also known sometimes as a log line, what that is, is you attempting to tell yourself the story in a succinct manner. And when we can't, most of us, we can't, it is the flag that is, it is the red flag that says you need to figure out what this book is about now. And that is normal. It's a great time to be doing this. So you're doing this exactly right. You're trying to figure out what this book is about now. And when you revise it, you will make it into something that will fit that elevator pitch, that log line, or you can do it a little bit longer, do the back jacket blurb, which would be 
one to two paragraphs of what the book is about. And if that starts getting rangy, if that starts going all over the place, again, we have to constrict it back into a tighter space, into those two to three sentences that we understand that the whole book can fit into. And then we have something um, that can direct us when we are revising. So what I want you to do, uh, because I'm not going to get all the way into revising right now, but I will direct you that in, in this podcast, How Do You Write? If you look up episode 108, that's a whole episode on my revision method. And then 177 goes into a little bit deeper into the methods that I use for revision. So that's episodes 108 and 177. Um, this is what I teach in 90 day revision. This is what I hold people's hands through, but honestly, like you can go through the, the broad overview for free, totally free in those episodes. So, so grab, go grab 108 and 177. But, um, what you do is you outline after that elevator pitch, you outline. And let me skip down to this question that is related. Um, Emily says, hi, Rachel, it's me back with another question. I just finished the first draft of book two in my cozy mystery series, and I'm currently taking two weeks away from it before I get diet before diving into revisions. However, I got to thinking since I'm still querying, this is not the, this is a fantastic, fantastic question, but it's not the one I was looking for. Hold, please. Oh, here we go. Um, we're going to go back to Emily, but first to um, Neelam. Hello, Neelam. Uh, Neelam says, I love your podcast and have been an avid listener since I found you a few months ago. I have a question about revision. I'm working on the next draft of my novel. I did the first two drafts by jumping around and writing whichever scene, scenes called to me. Then I put them into a reverse outline to get a sense of what I'd written. And I started to edit that outline to make some narrative sense. Never finished the outline because I really struggled to keep my motivation there but I'm doing it in pieces now. Now I'm doing another pass and would like this draft to be a full narrative rather than something with gaping plot holes and subplots that go nowhere, et cetera. However, I'm struggling to proceed because I'm still feeling the pull to write certain more emotional slash impactful scenes and in no particular order. Uh, I'll end up with another mass of 80,000 words and no cohesive story if I let myself do that. Any tips and tricks? Thank you for asking this. And this goes directly to Kylo's question. Um, and I'm going to go right back to what you said, Nelly, um, uh, uh, Neil, when you said that you have done, you you did the, you started the sentence outline, the reverse outline, um, but you, you've struggled to keep your motivation. It is very hard to do what is called a reverse outline or a sentence outline and what that basically is. And Kylo, this is for you. You look at your book and you write down a little bullet point or bullet points for every scene that exists in your book. And then you have this piece of paper and you can read in two minutes, your whole book, everything is there. And then from that outline, you're above it. You're looking down on it. You've got the distance required to see, oh, this world building doesn't work with this world building. And this plot point doesn't work with this plot point. And this absolutely negates the above plot point and confuses it in a way that will never work out. And you can start to see those problems and fill them in. What I would love, Neelam, is if you went back to your outline and really worked a little bit more on finishing it. But sometimes I will say that it is hard. And by finish, I mean, come up with ideas on the plot holes to fill and fix and change. When we go into the manuscript and we move around, we jump around writing the scenes that call to us and we work on the um, strong emotional 
impactful scenes. What happens is we end up getting really married to those scenes that we have now had, had our hands all over and we've really thought deeply about. Um, they mean such a great deal to us because we've made these scenes so strong that it then it can be hard to see and realize that they don't belong in the book or that they need to go someplace completely else or that they need to be ripped apart and a third goes here and a third goes there and a third goes someplace else. The better we make a scene, the, the stronger we make a scene, the more problematic it is for us as writers. What we want to do is we want to, in our second draft and in our in a quicker, faster third draft usually, we want to just be making this book make sense. We're making the plot make sense and we're making the character arcs work. That's what those big revisions are for. We want to stay out of making beautiful scenes. Again, the more beautiful a scene, the less we are going to be recognized that it can't stay where it is or it can't be what it wants to be. The way that we solve for that, and here's the direct answer to your question, Neelam, is that we work from front to back, from beginning to end. And I know that is so difficult. It's as difficult as working from beginning to end in a first draft. But for 99% of us, we have to write from the beginning of a crappy first draft to the as close as we can get to the ending of a crappy first draft. And then we go back and revise it. And then we have to revise from the beginning to the end. What that does is it keeps us showing up at the page. It keeps us moving forward. It does not mean we have to solve all the things. A lot of times, in a, especially in a second draft, I'll be going through and I'll go, I don't know how to fix this scene and I don't know if it belongs here. I cannot figure it out. I look at my sentence outline. I try to figure things out. And then I go back to it. And then I realize I'm not smart enough yet. I don't know enough about this book yet. I'm just going to put a placeholder in here. I'm going to write a post-it. I'm going to write something to myself in the manuscript that says, future Rachel, fix this on the next round. And then I keep moving forward through the book because by fixing something in the fourth act, I'm going to realize that when I got stuck in the second act on scene 17, now I know how to fix it. But I couldn't have fixed it without revising all the way through the fourth act for example. So we have to keep moving through, even with the scenes that are not emotional and not impactful. And then of course, we've got to decide why they're there and what we're doing with them. So it's about keeping showing up and keeping moving through from beginning to end. And and for most writers, this is none, nothing is true for all writers. And if you are, all of you listening, not, not the people who've asked questions, but if you are finishing books that are publishable and you're happy about them, then your process works for you. And if my process sounds like it wouldn't work for you, then that is true if you are finishing books. If you're getting stuck and not finishing books, then do try this process, which I find works for the vast, vast, vast majority of people, which is to write a crappy first draft beginning to end, and then to revise it from beginning to end for the second draft, and usually for the third draft beginning to end. And after that third draft, that's when I can feel pretty confident and start moving around inside scenes, like jumping from here to there and going back to scene two and, oh, I've got an idea for scene 73 and jumping forward. Then I can start doing that because I know that all the scenes are where they should be. They are doing the work I want them to do. And now I'm going to make them good. Now I'm going to make them strong. So I hope that ha that helps Neelam and Kylo um, to hear that. That is what I would recommend doing next. Um, Kylo, do that, do that uh, sentence outline. And look at it from high above and decide what needs to come out and then just be ruthless. Pull it out and make yourself notes of what you need to add in to fill in what you have taken out. So um, thank you. Thank you for that. 
All right. Now I'm going to go back to Emily's question. Sorry about that, Emily. Uh, She says, hi, Rachel. It's me back with another question. I just finished first draft of book number two in my cozy mystery series. Yay. And I'm currently taking two weeks away from it before diving into revisions. However, I got to thinking since I'm still querying agents for book one, what happens if I land an agent and they or a future publisher want subsequent books to go in a different direction? Is it even worth it to revise book two yet? After book two is finished, do I need to update my query to include it? I don't know how any of this works. Any and all advice is super appreciated. Okay, so a reminder, Emily is the one who got the revise and resubmit from an agent and who is having fantastic results from her query letter. So it's a good question, but here's the thing. When an agent falls in love with your book and offers you representation, then you get to tell her, oh, and I've also got a book too. And this is what book two does. You will have already revised this book probably to the best of your ability. And then that book is what it is. And the agent will also have ideas about book two. And then you can revise it with her again. But the book two has already become what you wanted book two to do. It is very rare that, um, so say you get an agent and say she sells book one to a major publisher in a three book deal. Um, and in that three book deal, they get, they're getting book number two. And you say, this is the one about the um, space unicorn. And they say, oh, we don't want a space unicorn. We'd actually prefer a, an aquatic unicorn on earth. They're not going to want that big of a change. They, they are the ones who want to make money on what you are creating. And if you bring to them a package... They say, oh, cool, package here. And they know that they can work with you on editing it. Your agent will always work with you on editing books. Well, most of the time, not always, but most of the time. And your editor who buys the book will always work with you on editing those books too. We will never revise our books and then have an editor go, okay, great. And now we're going to publish it. Editors edit. They will ask you to take apart your book and you will go back to a sentence outline and you will take your book apart again to please the editor who has bought your book if you go the traditional route. So I say... First of all, congratulations on finishing book number two. And second of all, go ahead and do that big second make sense draft. Um, it's not going to be a perfect draft anyway, it, but it will be better and stronger than what you have now. So this is something that if I were in your shoes, I would go ahead and revise that and continue with querying book one. Do um, What I would say is don't reflect that you have a book two in your query letter. That can get complicated. And what we do, if we want an agent to sell our books, we let the agent handle that. We let the agent handle that discussion with the editor. We're not privy to that. That's their expertise. Um, But what you can do in the query letter is say the magic words, um, this is a standalone with series potential. You're not saying that you've written that series. And I don't know why we do it this way. (laughs) But this is to not scare agents away. Um, You can say, this is my cozy mystery complete at, you know, 87,000 words, a standalone with series potential. Great. They they love to see that. That means they could sell a standalone book or they might be able to sell a series and they don't need to know how much of it you have written. And they shouldn't know how much of it you have written yet. This comes to me as advice from multiple agents, including Barbara Powell, who is a fantastic agent. And that's what she likes to see in a query letter. And also it kind of shows that you know the business. Um, that is how I would do it. Let me know what you think, Emily. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I think this might be the last question here. And it is from Michelle. Michelle says, I need an expert to review the technical aspects of my second book. When do I do that? 
I just dropped that in there. Like, yep, I finished the first draft of my second book. No big deal. That's amazing. Uh, if I have gotten the technical things wrong, that could change the storyline a bit. But I need to do a lot of revisions until the plot even works well. What do you think? What do most authors do? So this is a great question. So um, a lot of times the research that we do that we need to nail down later won't affect the plot very much. So we can leave that to till a l- late, late revision, really late in revision. But sometimes things like technical stuff do affect the plot. So at this point, what I like to do is make myself a list of notes and I ask for an informational interview with somebody who is an expert in the field. Uh, keep it to 30 minutes if you can. Tell them you're going to get in, get out, offer them something nice in return, a coffee or payment if this is something that you can hire them to do to have this conversation. They don't have time to read the book yet, especially not in an early draft. They don't even We don't even really want them to read early drafts of the technical bits. That's asking a lot. What I'm hearing from you is you just you just need a little bit more information about how the technical aspects work. And that should be able to be something that you could get from a 30-minute informational interview over Zoom or wherever. You don't have to ask them to go anywhere just to fire up their Zoom. And then you could say, is this phrasing right? Uh, would this happen like this exactly? Um, the last time I did it this, this way, I was writing uh, Hush, Little, Hush Little Baby. Yeah. And there was a bunch of birth and stuff, some baby midwifery, baby stuck kind of questions. And I hired a midwife and uh, a nurse midwife and a doctor to talk to with me briefly about what the complications could look like and how to handle them. I'd already done a lot of research on my own, but I there were a couple of really specific questions that I couldn't find by Googling and they answered them quickly and I thanked them and it was awesome. Therefore, you're respecting everyone's time. If the book is really polished, like ready to go, ready to be published, that's when we can ask somebody or hire somebody to read the whole thing and say, does this work technically? But most people don't have time to read the books that they want to read. So we have to be careful with asking them to help us out in that area. So sometimes we can pull out the parts that we want them to read if it's already really close to late revisions. Or we can just ask for that conversation. So that is what I would do, especially at this early in the book. Um, I would ask to talk to somebody. And also, congratulations. Yes, you did finish the first draft of your second book. And I'm so proud of you. That is, that is just so exciting. And it makes me incredibly happy. So thank you, everyone, for these fantastic questions. I have fully enjoyed um answering them. And now I'm super overheated in my office. And if anybody's watching on the YouTube, you just saw me go bright red because it's quite warm and it hasn't been warm here for a while. So happy writing to you all. Please remember that what the most important thing that any of us do is to show up and do the writing. And it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel that great most of the time. Sometimes it does. But most of the time, it's just about that emotional management of getting yourself to the page for half an hour. 45 minutes for 10 minutes and doing some work working from front to back of our books so that they get done and that they get revised because then we can get them out in the world for readers to read so that we can help change other people but in the meantime you're changing yourself for the better every single time you sit down and right. So um, thanks for listening. And thanks for these amazing questions. And now I'm out of questions. So patrons, please send me some more questions. All right. Happy writing, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Mm -hmm.